This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to InsightCarolina.com's On The Beat Live. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by special guest tonight and Gregory Hall. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. With On to Beat Live normally comes Greg Barnes and Gregory Hall, but tonight we are joined by Jason Staples live from the mountains of Hawaii and Taylor Vipolis joining us as well. Replace It takes two of y'all to replace Greg Barnes. Just letting you know that. It's a good trade. Two for one. It two makes sense one. to me. Yeah. We'll always take that and we'll get cash considerations later as well. Uh, let's get right into it, boys. We are live. We've got uh, the YouTube audience listening. I said on the message boards, hey, we'll make this show about you guys. Um, so questions coming. Bring the questions. We'll get into them. But I want to start, since I've got two former wide receivers on the podcast here, I do want to ask the question. And, Vip, you hit on it, so I'll come to you first with it, and then Jason dig in as well. Uh, how tough is it to be a wide receiver and play however many snaps a game and get one, maybe two targets and be expected to perform at a high level? It It is brutal. We were just talking about this off air, like you mentioned, Tommy, but like I, I understand the complaint about Anton Green, Emory Simmons is that they're not creating separation, but you can't tell me in their 30 plus 40 pass routes that they're not creating separation enough to get the ball. So when you're a receiver and you're out there and the, a lot of this offense is running verticals, you're just running verticals just to – they're just getting cardio out there basically for for most of the night. They'll get one target, and that's really it. And it's, it's, a, it's a case that I mentioned on the podcast with Mike and EJ on, um, on Sunday when we recorded like – I wonder how much this offense would look different if Sam connected early in that Virginia Tech game with Emory Simmons or with Anton Green, where that confidence could start to be built because the only reason Sam's not throwing it to him is because every time he does, he doesn't trust that they're going to come up with a catch. Like they they have more way more targets than they do catches at this point in the season. And it's just a situation where when Sam is dropping back, his first read, no matter what, it unless it's a, a simple single read like I'm um, no no safety over the top, I'm throwing this vertical. If he has to go through his progressions, what he's doing is he's looking for Josh Downs first, and if Josh Downs is covered, he's taken off, and that's really it at this point. What the Carolina offense looks like, Jason. We talked about it on uh, I guess it was the day after podcast a couple of days ago when we talked about Trafford Brown because that drop was brutal. I mean, there's no question that the drop was brutal Saturday, and he's had, I guess, what, three touchdowns he's dropped. 
why, Jason? What, what's going on in the man's head, the young man's head, that's creating these issues? Because clearly, he's a D1 wide receiver. He can catch the football. Yeah, I, I think he's – I mean, again, I, I called it the yips before, and I think that's really what it is, that, that he's – have it's he's fighting the football first of all when it's getting to his hands he's sticking his hands out and instead of the when you're confident and you you're not thinking about it your hands are soft and they just kind of respond to the ball coming into your hands when you're not confident there's a, a sort of unnaturalness to it a stiffness to your hands and you fight the ball and it's really easy then for the ball to just kind of fall down in front of you because you, you you kind of stone hands it and he's been doing that a lot and what that tells me is he is uh, he's playing with a lot of negative, <laughs> negative thoughts in his head. This is a ball's coming to him and he's going, don't drop it. Don't drop it. Don't drop it. Oh, <laughs> it's that. And what you want is you want a guy who sees the ball coming and he isn't thinking about catching it or dropping it. It's just natural. You just respond to where the ball is, stick your hands out and, catch, and you catch it. You have to get there that way. And he's just not in that headspace right now and the only way really to get there is to catch the football (laughs) that's the paradox of this is you have to actually catch it enough to where it gets natural and you know vip and i were talking about this off air the 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 paradox of this is you know you get fans and you know some coaches as well i mean i played for a couple coaches like this who are like you know you drop the ball get on the sideline and i think a lot of times that's the worst thing you can do for a wide receiver because then you're just playing into that mentality you're playing into that, you know, the next time that the pressure is amped up even more of, oh, I better not drop this one. And it's sort of like telling a, a point guard uh, or just, you know, anybody who's coached basketball or has played basketball on the perimeter knows that what you don't do is you don't tell your, your perimeter guys, your ball handlers, okay, go out there and just make sure you don't turn the ball over. Like, that's the thing. Just don't turn it over. Don't turn it over. Well, if you're playing not to turn it over and you're kind of second guessing everything, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> a rash of turnovers. You have to play with confidence and wide receiver as much as any position in the game. You have to play fast and confident. You, you want guys on the, on the edge of cocky, maybe even over that edge at times, because you have to play like that to be able to respond that quickly. And so the paradox is you have to stick that guy back out there and, give him some early opportunities in easier situations to catch easy routes, a, a wide receiver screen, a, a hitch route, little things where it's just an automatic thing that it's just like practice. Cause what's happening right now. And Vip, you, you said this off air, you go out there and the, the only target you have is a high pressure downfield dig route at top speed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, you can't get okay, any momentum. So, yeah. Okay. So you've been struggling with your putter. All right, now here I'm going to give you a six footer to win the Masters. I hope you uh, I hope you have fun with that. Like, well, you know, you might you might make it, and you'd be pretty happy if you do. But um, can I get a warm up or two? Like, <laughs> can I just have like two or three pre round putts before you stick me out there on the you know, or just you know, oh here you go, you're going to play you're going to play around with the Masters. Can I have like a few warm up swings here at least? I mean, I I got to I got to get on the range a little bit and on the green. I don't even know how fast these greens are. That's what's going on, and I, I just think they've got to find ways with the outside receivers, with and that includes uh, that includes Choffrey to really 
scheme them the ball in easier situations to where they're building that confidence and building that trust. I know they're trying to do that to some degree and it, because you look at what's going on in, uh, in Antoine Green's splits. He's, he's got how – many, how many catches does he have in the year? I don't have it in front of me. It's got to be like nine or ten, right? Ten. Uh, it's ten? Yeah. Ten for 17. Ten for 17. What are eight of those in the first quarter? Uh. I, that, I would have to go deeper to look into when. Yeah, it's seven or eight, seven or eight of those 10, just off the top of my head, seven or eight of those 10. And I'll look it up later. And, and, and if I can uh, find that, I'll, I'll bring it in later for sure. But seven or eight of those 10 are in the first quarter. And then he goes the next three quarters as a ghost. He never sees the ball again. And the other catches were against Georgia State. So at a certain point, you've got to find ways, not just in the first in the first drive, because that's. If you go through the, if you go through Carolina's uh, Carolina's drive charts, Antoine Green has a catch on the first drive in how many games? It's five for Green in the first quarter. Five of ten in the first quarter. So half of his catches are in the first quarter, and I would venture to guess four of those five are on the first drive of those first quarters. And so you know they're trying to get him the ball to get you know some things going, but what happens is it's like he gets that perfunctory catch right at right at the beginning, and then it's like okay now you can go and run your wind sprints the rest of the game. And it's so discouraging, and it's he doesn't it's have he doesn't have a single catch or target in the opponent side of the field, and he's your outs like and he's your replacement for Bo Corrales. You know there what I mean? Go. Like or so it doesn't make sense and you talk about separation and you talk about um, like the receiver being the receiver's fault, but then everyone in these comments is saying, well, you got to run these guys routes to where they can get warmed up. Just like you're saying, Jason. So is it, the, are they not running the routes? Is that a coaching issue? Is it Sam not getting the ball to them? Cause Antoine green has one contested target this season. He's got 17 targets. Only one has been contested and he caught the ball. Um, and that, and that's targeting. So obviously he's going to be contested other times when he's not targeted. I get that. Um, but well, I mean, I, first of all, I don't think that, that the reason they're not getting the ball is just because they're not getting open. And I mean, I, I showed this against Georgia tech that, you know, he had two plays in a row yep. where he is as wide open as you can get on a post route. And what? Howell just never pulls the trigger. So never even more looks on his way. Sam or the coaching staff at this point. Well, I think, I think it's mostly on Sam uh, in terms of his decision on where he's, I think he's locking in on one guy for the most part. Uh, but I think that also then does come back to coaching because coaching wise, you have to hold your quarterback accountable to make sure that he's actually hitting those guys when they're open and that you scheme certain things to where, look, you're going to have to look at your outside receiver first. We're just going to make you, you're going to have to throw it to that guy. If, if, there's anything there, that's your first read. This is an alert. You're going to have to go there. So there is a little bit of both, but I mean, I, I really think it comes down to Sam just not being comfortable and ultimately not willing, being willing to pull the trigger on some of those. Yeah. And I think the most ironic thing too, with the whole Choffrey Brown situation is if you can get him into games more and get him into the flow of um, how everything's playing out, he is the answer for the outside receivers like he for creating separation every time he has a drop 
he is wide open with nobody even close to him. And I think that could also be another problem where he is such a, a yards after the catch guy, where in his mind, he's like, once I catch this ball, I have to take off. But I also don't think he realizes, you know, how open he is and how if he just catches the ball in any kind of space, he, he's gone every time he catches the ball. So I think 400 meters, guys. Yeah. So I think <laughs> if you are Carolina, it's like, you have to be looking at Choffrey Brown like, how can we make this guy more comfortable in this offense? Because if if he gets going, the rest of the offense is going to get going because they've really been missing that outside target. Whether whether Green and Simmons are doing the right thing or not, the the production isn't there to back it up. But somebody like Choffrey Brown, if if he could start catching the ball consistently, he he's going to alleviate a ton of the problems that this offense is having. Kind of like how we were talking about last year, how Michael Carter, uh, Javante Williams, Diami Brown, they hit a lot of these deficiencies. They're, they just don't have anybody right now who can kind of hide those deficiencies outside of a Josh Downs. And and the bracket coverages are, are coming for Josh Downs. I think Georgia Tech was the best example of that where – they're content with you catching the ball underneath, have a good tackler, limit the yards after the catch. Josh Downs only at 28 yards after the catch that Georgia Tech game, where if you ask Georgia Tech about that game, they'll live with that performance from Josh Downs every time he gets eight catches, but he's not breaking any of these plays like you're seeing in the Duke game or the Virginia game where he's, he's catching a, a pass that's five yards and going 60 yards to the house. So the, the question is, uh, I mean, we, we've talked about how Sam doesn't necessarily look at them and trust and all that, but Jason, I'll come back to you. Why is it so, or, or it's not that difficult to get the ball in a guy like Chaffrey's hands. I mean, somebody mentioned, um, Slagle mentioned to you, Vip, on, on the YouTube chat, end around, bubble screens, you know, the little drop pass where it's a, a jet sweep slash pass. I mean, wouldn't it behoove the offensive staff to get the ball in the guy's hands by any means necessary? I mean, it seems like a simple fix. Yeah, I mean, I think part of this is philosophical. This is where I think on the coaching side, uh, this is where I think that you can lay a lot of the blame. And, and it's philosophical. And to some degree, I, I get it. Like, as a coach, I, I, I kind of default in some ways to, to siding with Longo here, but you have to be flexible on this in that there are a couple different ways you can call a play or a game. And one is to call a play in which your, your quarterback is reading the field and you have different options and you go where the defense isn't right. It's, it's, it's just calling. And, and one way to talk about this is it's a blind play call, Right. So you're calling it and you don't know necessarily who's getting the ball because if they do this, then you go here. If they do this, then you go there. That that's, I, I mean, I think generally speaking, successful offenses have a lot of blind calls because you can spread the ball around. Now, the danger of this is if you have one guy who's really dominant in that kind of offense and a quarterback that gets really comfortable with that, then you can run a bunch of blind calls that just keep going to one guy. And at that point, you, you're not getting some of the benefits of, of blind calls, of being able to spread the ball around. The other approach of play calling is think players, not plays, right? So it's players, not plays that you, you basically you're saying, okay, I got to get the ball in this guy's hand. And I've got to, I've got to basically scheme something up to where, 
it's going to that guy unless they absolutely do everything to take it away. So these are shot plays. It's like, you know, we're going to scheme up. Well, you know, good example of this is the, the touchdown right before the half for Florida State was a shot play that was designed to go to one guy. And if it wasn't going to go to that guy, then it was going to be thrown to the vertical on the other side of the field where it was more of a jump ball. But basically, this was a, a half roll where it was designed to be a throwback on the post going opposite the roll because they felt like they had a matchup that they wanted. And it was, we're going to get this matchup against this guy. And we're thinking that matchup, our guy can beat their guy. And we're going to get this matchup and we're going to let it loose. And I think you have to have a balance of those. You have to, at times, recognize like, I got this player and I've just got to find a way to make sure he gets the ball. And if that means I have to call a receiver screen, if that means I have to call a bubble, if that means I have to call a, a basic, uh, you know, curl route or whatever, you know, just call sticks, whatever. If I, and I know that I'm telling my quarterback, look there first, then, you know, or just shot plays, these sorts of things. Then you're then then you can do that or move a guy around and you know basically say this is where we're probably going to go, um, and I you know I think Longo defaults much more and this is traditional air raid to the blind call approach. We're going to run mesh, we're going to run four verts, we're going to run you know uh, snag, we're going to run smash, we're going to run a variety of these different things, and the guy that comes open wherever there's grass is where we're going to go. That's the, that's the, the tendency. That's the default. That's how he calls his offense. And there's a lot of positives to that, especially when you're rolling. But when you've got guys that are struggling a little bit, a quarterback that's maybe not trusting as much, that's where sometimes you have to sit down and say, okay, we get, we're going to have to add a little bit here that we, we normally wouldn't do. And we're just going to scheme this guy, the ball and, you know, just get the ball in this guy's hand in order to, in order to get him a little bit more involved in the game and that sort of thing. And that's where I think they're, they're falling short a little bit schematically on offense right now uh, in that they're, they're not spreading the ball partly because Howell's getting so locked in on the one guy who does consistently get open against uh, in those blind calls. And it's a one read thing. He see, he looks for him. And if it's not there, what does he do? What does he do? Vip? He's taken off. He's taken off. <laughs> He's not looking for the next guy. So, and Gregory's throwing up stats in our off-air chat. 21 screens out of 242 designed pass plays. That, that's got to be, for Carolina football, that used to live on the bubble screen, tunnel screens, whatever screen that there was possible to call that you'd see at least 10 times a game. And that includes having, running back screens. Which... Yeah, that Ty Chandler guy, we heard he could catch the ball out of the backfield. That was his best trait. Um, Vip, people keep asking, is it time to get the younger guys at receiver some run there? Um, you know, freshman wide receivers can make noise. Um, I think our discussion here that is it's time for the coaches to help the players out. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, but Vip, your take on, on some of these no, uh, young guys, Jones, Pesor, Blackwell, any of the young guys that are there that are talented, um, yet unproven and untested. Yeah, I don't think – I think wide receiver this late in the season is the toughest position where you're going to be able to plug guys in just because the chemistry isn't there. Um, it, it's, it would be something completely different if, like, you saw this in the spring game 
and you have all summer to have Pesor and Jones running with Sam Howell, but it, it would be something more like if, if Drake may or Kobe Criswell went in at quarterback, then I would be more confident putting JJ Jones and Kobe Pesor just because they have that timing down with the quarterback, even though it doesn't look like Sam Howell and Anton green and Emory Simmons have that connection and that timing down in games, it's you could assume they have that connection down in practice and it's something that they just haven't been able to translate yet. And I don't think you could just plug a, a freshman wide receiver and expect him to go out and be be natural with the quarterbacks just when it, they haven't been running together at all. I think it's something like you, you could plug a, a running back in easier. Um, you could plug in some positions defensively easier, but wide receiver, I think wide receiver is going to be the toughest one to plug somebody in. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't agree more there. Wide receiver in today's game is really hard to learn. <laughs> because, and for a lot of reasons. I mean, when you're a wide receiver in high school, you're out there and you're the best athlete on the field. If you're a power five wide receiver in high school, you win because you're an athlete. And then you get in, get in college and you're going against athletes with a few exceptions. I mean, you get your Julio Joneses out there, which are a little bit different, but you know, aside from that kind of dude or Randy Moss, you know, he gets out of high school and he's still the best athlete, you know, in the NFL, when he gets on the field, aside from that kind of dude, when you get out there, you're going against other athletes who are comparable athletes as you. And now you have to win with, with craft and with technique and you have to do things correctly. And the other thing is, in college, you have to read the defense. You have to adjust your routes. And in high school, you run a slant and you're, you know, three steps cut inside a 45 degree angle. <laughs> you, you, you know, you're running a go route and it's all right. Um, go. <laughs> There's your vertical. But at something as simple as a go route in, in college, you got like three or four different reads on it. Like, okay, so if he is, if he plays press bail, then, you know, we want you to press into the, you, know, you got to press into the blind spot and then you may actually come over, over the top, depending if, are we talking four verts? Or are we talking about a, a locked outside release? I mean, how, how are we doing this? Oh, and if he, if he's playing over the top, if his hips are over you and he's able to stack you, you're not able to get over the top and stack, then you need to be looking for the ball at 18 yards because between 18 and 22 yards, that ball, that ball may get on you and it's a back shoulder. So you need to make sure, you know, and then if you do get over the top, just slightly that now you need to stack because that guy's going to be fighting you. You got to stack and you got to get your hands, get his hands off you. You got to stack him here and you got to make sure you're at this at this level, so the quarterback has enough space to throw to throw you to the sideline. Oh, and then when you go to the sideline, you can't just turn and try to catch the ball the way that Emory Simmons has. You have to s slow down a little bit if it's underthrown just slightly, and you have to make sure you're catching that over the outside shoulder while looking over the inside shoulder, because otherwise that guy's going to be able to get his hands in and punch through the ball. All of this stuff is, and that's just a vertical route. <laughs> and, you know, then you add this to an offense like what they're in, where it's a, it's a grass read offense where it's a, okay, here's your slant rule. When you start inside, you have to assess, are they in man? Are they in zone? Am I being followed? If I'm being followed, then run through it. If I'm not being followed, now I need to check where my inside coverage is and I need to make sure that I'm running to grass away from him. And now I need to, and I need to make sure that I'm throttling to the right window, wherever my quarterback, all of this stuff has to be done. And like Vip said, all of it has to be done in unison with the quarterback that you're usually throwing with who, where, you know, that like 
his window is here. This is where in rhythm, he tends to put it. And that's going to be a little different for each guy. It's just really, I, I just, this is, I, and I've had to emphasize this for other fan bases at the time, at, at times as well. I mean, Florida state, when they were getting four-star, five-star receivers, you had their, their, their fan base. It was, why isn't this freshman playing? It's like, I don't think you understand. You get a four-star wide receiver, expect him to start contributing as a sophomore. <laughs> it's just a dip. It's, it's different. It's a different game than what he was playing in high school. It takes a really special guy and usually an early enrollee, like you said, Vip, to be able to play as a freshman early in college at that position. It's just so hard. The one thing the, the one thing I'll say that uh, this is kind of a separate point on the receivers that are playing now um, that I've seen as kind of a critique. And I think I've seen Jason mention it sometimes in his um, in his film breakdowns where if say you have a go route and you know your target is 40 yards for where the ball is going to land too often i feel like these these current receivers emory simmons anton green they're looking at 25 they're drifting off their line and when you're looking at 25 for the ball that's going to land 40 you're slowing down that entire time you're giving a chance for the db to get back into your hip and i think that's why you're seeing some of these balls get overthrown by sam not uh, not also considering the fact that his whole timing is off not knowing how well this offensive line can protect because like I think when you when you look back at some of the best receivers that I played with like Quinshot, uh Mac Hollins Bug Howard all of them you have that trust with the quarterback where if if your target is 40 yards you really don't have to look up until 35 to make that last second adjustment on the ball because all you're going to be doing is slowing down. And that's something that Coach Brewer emphasized to us every day. It's it's why I could still remember him word for word in my ears at night when, when I'm trying to go to sleep. How late eyes, to... late hands. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's one thing that this current receiver group struggles and they're, they're trying to go back to the ball too much, like Jason mentioned earlier, um, and trying to play through the ball instead of letting that ball kind of come through their back shoulder. And that's just throwing off this quarterback wide receiver timing even more. And, and that's something that, uh, that I, I do blame that to some degree. I mean, you mentioned you said a mouthful when you said that's something that Coach Brewer emphasized day in, day out. That's something that does have to get repped until you can't get it wrong. And, you know, this is why you know, most college, uh, college teams, practice fields have that red line or whatever, whatever color they put the line down on the divider <laughs> where you're, you're not supposed to be outside that when you're a wide receiver, when you're going down the sideline, because you have to hold your line. And, you know, that, that has to be emphasized more. And you've got guys that are not doing it in games, which tells me that that needs to be that much more of an emphasis in practice in terms of repping that out. And someone like what, like the harm and getting those young guys out there, even if it's so difficult, it's just confidence going forward. If they can't get it done when they're asked to get it done because no one else is getting it done, then you're just hurting their mentality moving forward would be my take on. I've seen that question, like what's the harm at this point if the current guys aren't getting it done? That would be, I think, the view of the harm. Yeah, is I just don't think developing. fans, I don't think fans understand that like you can ruin a guy really easily by playing him before he's ready. And it's a lot easier to ruin a guy with early playing time than to improve him. Let me ask a question that's come off the chat. I'm going to pick one here. It's not going to be wide receiver related. Who is the most underutilized talent 
on this team? Vip, I'll start with you. I'll go offensive and defensive. Defense, I would say I would put one of those linebackers, Power Eccles, Ra-Ra Dilworth, just to see what they have in spurts. I think you saw on that on that kickoff what Ra-Ra's – I mean, what uh, Power Eccles is looking to do out on the field to other people. And then offense, I would go with uh, Bryson Nesbitt. I, I love Bryson Nesbitt every time he's out on the field. I think he's kind of that new – that new wave of tight end where you just look at him and you're like, how am I supposed to guard him? Am I a linebacker? It's way too slow for him. A corner or a nickelback is just uh, way too small. I meant linebacker would be uh, way too slow. Um, but I think, I think Bryson Nesbitt, I, if I was Carolina, he would be kind of the guy where I'm trying to figure out any way I could get him on the field and just put more athletes on the field for Sam. He's built like Kyle Pitts. Like when you talk about like that hybrid wide receiver tight end, that that's just like what you see like size wise and speed and athleticism, as opposed to someone like Kamari Morales, who's going to be your get the hands on the ball, ball, short yardage and maybe block more. So it should be interested to see how they use Bryson Nesbitt moving forward. Yeah, he's not quite as bendy as Pitts, but he's got sure. the, the same kind of length. What uh, what about you, Jason? Can't pick Ra Ra or Power. Can't pick Nesbitt. Um, I would definitely say the, the first guy that came to my mind is Choffrey because they, they, you have a guy that runs 10-4 that has made big plays for you in the past and you're having trouble at that position. I think you've got to start seriously considering finding ways, extra ways to get him the football in space, you know, make him the glance route guy on some of the RPOs a little bit more often, put him in position where he can get his hands on the ball and change the scoreboard. Uh, I think, I think he's the most underutilized guy on, on offense on defense. You know, it might be, it might be power, but I mean, you already said, I can't, I can't, uh, take him. Uh, that's, that's harder. Um, is I mean, it Clyde I, Pender? I mean, no, I think, I mean, I think, I think defensively the rotations have been pretty good in, in terms of what I'm seeing. The guys that are out there, are the guys that have, that, that are playing better by and large. Um, I, I might say, you know, I, I think what we're seeing from Chapman at, at, uh, at corner, he might actually be earning more time at corner. So I might say Chapman at corner would be a guy that's underused at this point. Uh, and I think he's going to get more time at that corner spot, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think maybe geo biggers is another guy that I would put out there as a, I as really like Gio's guy. game. Yeah. I think he's really smart and, and you can see when he's out on the field, he tends to be in the right spots and he really, he, he relishes the physical part of the game, which I love from a safety. So, um, so I, maybe geo biggers, but you know, I think up front, the rotation is pretty good. I mean, I might want to see a little bit more from five, you know, but I, I don't think he's underused at this point. So, I mean, I think overall it's they're, they're, they're playing guys who are, who've earned their time. Let me ask a, a question similar to this, but not necessarily um, underutilized, but, and Jason, I want you to take first and then VIP. I want to ask a variation of the question I'm um, given um, your experience at Carolina, but, Jason, judging from your breakdowns that you do on Inside Carolina and folks that don't, that aren't premium, that aren't watching them, are certainly missing out. At what point 
do you put a different player in the game to accomplish what another player has struggled with multiple times? I mean, that's a tough question to ask, but the breakdowns you have shown are, are pretty uh, – There's some stuff that's brutal. just brutal. Yeah, yeah they're pretty that's brutal on certain people. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the – and, and I think – you know, I, I, I hate being hard on guy on players because I mean, obviously, you know, they're, 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 uh, doing the best that they can. Um, but there've been a few guys who've consistently made some mistakes that have cost some big plays. Uh, I think the answer to that question of when you have a guy who's, you know, struggling and, and consistently making certain mistakes that are costing your team, when do you go to the next guy? I think you, the answer to that question is you go to the next guy the moment you have any indication that the next guy would make fewer of those mistakes that cost you. So it's to some degree contingent on what you have behind him. So I'll give you an example right now. And, you know, again, I don't want to pick on anybody because I know these guys are, are, are playing hard, but in, in, the, in the long uh, Jordan Travis touchdown that I broke down, uh, but uh, from the first half, that play by scheme, the backside linebacker, and in this case, it was Eugene Asante. Backside backer has to have eye discipline to, to trail the, 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 uh, the sniffer, trail the H back as he comes across on the split zone. And he's got to get into the new gap on the other side. And if he does that correctly, that's maybe a two, three yard gain, at most a seven or eight yard gain if, if Travis you know, gives him some trouble in the, uh, in the hole. Instead, he had poor eyes, got, got blocked and then managed to trip up the backside safety too. <laughs> he got blocked into the backside safety. And that's why that play went for a touchdown. If you look earlier in the game, they're in a, they're in the same defense and Florida state runs the same play and you see gray do it more correctly. It's not perfect there either. He's, st he still actually gets touched a little bit and where he shouldn't have by the combo. He forces the play wide and it ends up going for a six yard gain instead of a 54 yard gain. There's your difference. And if you see that, you know, with any level of consistency in practice or games, then, you know, what that means is you're going to give gray, you know, 85%, 90% of any meaningful reps, if not more at that point, if that keeps happening. And then the other thing is if gray is still not getting it done quite to the level that you want. And as I mentioned, it was still not exactly there. You just keep giving your freshman, like, you know, Power Eccles would be the next guy there. You keep giving your freshman an opportunity. Or Rara would be, an, you know, another guy that you keep giving those guys opportunities in practice to show that they actually understand what they're supposed to do. And if they start showing that against the scout team and in, in your few scrimmage periods, if they start, start showing that they have their eyes in the right place and they're moving and they're starting to do some of these things right, the moment this is the rule that coaches operate by, by and large, the moment the young guy is say within five to 10% as good as the older guy, you play the young guy. And the reason for that is the young guy has a lot more room to develop than the older guy, right? The older guy is already getting closer to maxed out. He's been coached. When the younger guy is almost as good as the older guy, you, you, you tip the scales in, the in, in favor of the younger guy. 
if it's not that close and the younger guy keeps making those mistakes, then you have to default to the guy that's, he might be screwing up, but he's screwing up less often by a decent margin than that guy. The moment it gets close is when you make the choice is when you make the switch. Good yeah, stuff, some, the, let me, let, let me, let me frame it. Let me give you something to tack on to the great answer you're about to give. How did it apply when you were at Carolina? That's what I was just going to mention. Sometimes you, you need to send a message with taking somebody out, but not even in a, in a negative way. Like say if I'm out there or another receiver's out there and we mess up on, you know, two plays, say we mess up on a play, Carolina goes back to that play. We mess up again. You know, sometimes we're going to get taken out in the middle of the drive. So a coach can come up to us and kind of relay what they're seeing from up top or a coach on the sideline is getting messages from up top on what they're seeing differently. And it's, it's not something like we're coming out of the game to get like punished. We're coming out of the game so we could get the communication from the coaching staff to be like, Hey, this is what we're seeing. This is what you have to do. We're, we're trying to fix this before you come off the field for, uh, for the entire drive when everybody's back together or we're not waiting until halftime to kind of address this. We're trying to address this right now. We're going to take you off on the field Get, relay this information to you so you don't go back out there and you're not making the same mistakes over and over again. But I think at the end of the day, the coaching staff, they're, they are playing who they think is giving them the best chance to win. That's what you owe it to, to everybody in that locker room. And I think if, if that's not happening, I think that's pretty clear in a locker room and that's when you start to lose a team. And I don't think that's happened to this Carolina team, but I think all the players right now, they have the trust that the, the, the players that are going in right now, the players that are playing in majority of the snaps are playing um, because the coaching staff thinks they, they do give them the best chance, no matter if somebody thinks a, a younger player could do better or not. The, the coaches are the ones, after all, that are seeing the practices and knowing what the calls are in, uh, in the film room. And I think that feeds into the communication issues that Bateman was talking about um, in the press conference. I'm kind of segueing here to talk about what the coaching staff and the players said this week. Um, and now Bateman didn't sound concerned when listening to him, which I thought was a little interesting, which I get because you see, you know how talented they are and you know what they can do like they did against Duke, right? Um, and Jason, one of your breakdowns of the defense when one of the safeties got tripped up and should have been there and it was just a cause, yeah, of things that happened that shouldn't, but what, what's, what do we, what do we think about the communication issues that Bateman is referring to? And, and if also what he said is like, look, if it's the same guy over and over again, replace him. Right. Well, like, I, think, I mean, I, 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 I think you're actually going to see a couple guys who are on notice this week and probably getting some time taken away from them this week uh, just because of that. And partly because we're, we are coming up on, so the Miami game is, is, is one game where I think it's kind of a last opportunity probably for some of these guys, partly because you have the bye week coming up. And if you're going to make, sit, you know, prep the young guys to maybe take over in a spot where the older guy or somebody's not quite getting it done, that's, that's a good time to make those kind of changes. But I wouldn't be surprised to see, for example, this week, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ra Ra or Power as the backup now behind Gray and getting some of those reps 
uh, at that spot. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple guys in the secondary get more time because of some of the, uh, the, the persistent communication mistakes that have been made on the back end. And yeah, I mean, I, I think when he says that, he says, you know, replace him. They're now having those discussions as a staff to say, look, it's this guy, you know, three times out of four, when we have a communication error in the secondary, it involves this guy. Well, <laughs> got 84 other guys sitting over there. You figure yeah. it out. Yeah. I was going to say there's two ways to get beat in the secondary. The, the Virginia game, like late in the half, that's just a receiver making a great play over somebody like Tony Grimes. It's it's not ideal for a defense, but you could live with that. The, what you cap. what you were seeing in the Florida State game was a wide receiver running wide open, and then everybody kind of looking around at each other, like who whose responsibility is that? They know whose responsibility that was in whatever situations, but those are the ones you really can't live with as a defense. You, you don't really mind if if somebody's going up over the top of you making a great play, but when it's when it's the coverage lapses, that's that's where it's a problem, and that's where you could start to see somebody like uh, Geo Biggers, who uh, Coach Bateman said, you know, when he when he's in, the communication is a lot better. So I think that would be the, one of the most obvious spots for for seeing an increase in playing time. Yeah, that's that's the one thing, and I've said it, and we don't need to – I don't need to rehash it, but there was just a lot of anger watching that Florida State game, seeing the issues that just can't happen and happen over and over and over again. And uh, I know you got to do your read in just a second, Tommy, but, uh, but when we come on the other side of this, I want to address what kind of communication we're talking about and develop a little bit of what, what Vip was talking about there in terms of the second way that teams get beat and why, why that matters today. That's absolutely perfect. We'll also have some clips from players from this week's press conferences um, discussing those very things as well. A lot to still talk about on the Beat Live. Jason Staples, Taylor Vipolis, Gregory Hall. I'm Tommy Ashley. Johnny T-Shirt's our sponsor. You need to go check them out online and in person on Franklin Street. Go visit them when you're in town for the Miami game. It'll be a beautiful weekend in Chapel Hill. No excuse not to get to see them on Franklin Street. And if you can't make it, get to see them online. They got all their stuff there and the great customer service. Johnny T-Shirt offers the 10% off to the premium subscribers. I see some of the YouTube questions and we have a loyal following and they're giving us some great YouTube questions. Some of these questions are on the premium boards and have been answered on the premium boards. So you need to check out Inside Carolina Premium if you're not on there. Some injury questions, some uh what about such and such? Do they need to lose weight? It's been developed plenty on the premium message board. So get on there and check it out. Take another short break for the audio national guys to pay their bills. We'll be right back on the beat live. Introducing the two way V4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell. Each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience, maximum comfort throughout the game. It's lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two way for yourself at newbalance.com. We're back 946 Eastern. The Giants and the Dodgers are on the big screen. The Braves have moved on. Uh, we've got on the beat live as we have for the last, I don't know, eight or 10 Tuesday nights. We'll continue this long into the future as long as you guys follow us. Jason Staples is there. Taylor's there. 
Gregory Halls here. Jason, you wanted to get into the communication and sort of flesh that out on the back end, especially. Let's talk about it a little bit because I, it's not as um, simple as just somebody didn't hear a call. Explain it a little bit for us. Yeah. So the, the, the problem here is that a lot of us, those of us who, you know, in the audience or, you know, normal fans, let's say you played a little high school ball, you know, cover, cover three, you know, cover two, you know, cover one, you know, you, okay, well, you know, they're just calling cover three. Why is that guy not, you know, why, why, why are they not getting the same call? You just sing, you know, just hold up three fingers or whatever. It's not that simple in modern football because, with the way that that offenses do all sorts of things to to take advantage of different zone principles and things like that, you have to be able to match up. So if you just if you just run standard cover three, you know, like what you learned in high school in the college game, you will get absolutely shredded because you're going to have guys covering grass and then other guys who have two guys in their area, one of whom is going to be wide open. And then there's going to be some guys that are running up seams with no one in the, no one in the screen because modern offenses understand how to get guys into the seams and they do it really, really well. So what you have to do is any defense that you run, it's a cover three base say, but you're going to match in a variety of ways. You're going to have different techniques for handling Let's say you've got a cover three call and all of a sudden they motion to trips. Maybe you don't like cover three against trips. So now you have to communicate that we're going to check to cover six or we're going to check to, you know, cover four on one side and cover two on the other to handle the trips. Maybe we'll go to a solo coverage and that's just a formation adjustment. So that communication has to happen just based on they came out in this formation. We've got a call that's, that has to change based on formation. So that's one thing. Another thing has to do with technique. Okay, so we're gonna run standard cover four. Are we gonna run cover four solo? Are we gonna run cover four cut? Are we, you know, are we matching? Are we mixing? Are we running a read? You know, how are we, how are the, the what happens if, and this is probably your best example to make this simpler for people who are listening. What happens if you have two receivers on each side? And you call cover four, which means you got four guys who are responsible for the four verticals. What happens, though, if suddenly the inside receiver goes outside and the outside receiver comes inside and they switch? What's the right technique? Are we going to pass that off? Are we going to run with that guy a little bit and then pass it off? How is that going to be handled with the underneath coverage? And there are a variety of different coverage checks that have to be made to make sure that depending on formation, you know how each guy is going to handle that. It's just like a switch in, uh, in defense and uh, defense on, on basketball or on defense in basketball prepositions are fun folks um, where, you know, if you're in a matchup zone, the way that you switch off on certain things is going to be different than if you're switching in true man to man. And if you're in man coverage, you still have to account for, okay, we've got a man-to-man situation. We've got press man. What happens when the receiver releases inside and goes inside? Do I chase him or do I release him? It's going to depend on checks and calls that are going to be made. And the corner and the safety absolutely have to be on the right page with one another. If the safety doesn't, doesn't run with the guy 
and the corner thinks he's going to, or vice versa, you're going to have a guy running wide open. And that all of that stuff has to be communicated based on what you've prepped your guys to do during the week. And lots of people are going to hear this and go, just keep it simple. If you keep it any simpler than what they're doing right now, you're going to give up 50 a game. Every defense in the country has to do this. And it's all a matter of trying to find some way to limit what offenses are able to do in, in modern football. And I'm telling you what they're running is the same stuff that they're running at, at Georgia under Kirby smart. Georgia's guys don't seem to be having a problem executing it. It's not too complicated, but I mean, it, they're running the exact same stuff. I mean, they're, they're running a ton of rip Liz, for example, and you can look that up online and see what that is, but that's a, a Saban Belichick version of a single high coverage. And they're running a ton of it right now. And, they're running it over and over again. And it's just a matter of communicating based on, on, uh, on formation and all of that. And the problem is if you have one guy that is not either not listening to the communication from the safety and kind of doing his own thing, or the safety makes the call and he isn't heard, then you wind up with guys on different pages. And that's why in most defenses, when you see these sorts of things, you'll see it signaled, you'll see a guy yell. The rule for a lot of places is you have to signal it and then you have to get a signal that shows I heard you. And there's different ways of doing that. There's a I heard you signal, got you. And uh, in, in order to make sure that, that these sorts of things are actually communicated, and they need to just make sure they clean some of that stuff up. So real quick and real short, who's responsible for the lack of communication? Oh, that's on the coaching staff more than anybody because you got to get guys in there that can do it. Gregory, you got some clips you want us to want to play us? This is Tamon Fox explaining communication. We'll also hear from Tony Grimes and Cedric Gray about it. But one of our biggest issues we have on the defense side of the ball is definitely our communication. When we tend to face adversity in the game, guys kind of get in their own zone and forget to talk to each other when on the field. But we've been practicing, we're already working around that first day throughout the week. Yes, we we brought that to light as a, as a defensive unit without the coaches. So that that's already shows our leadership as players. And then uh, throughout the week, guys like me, Gimmo, Trey Morrison, we're out there just emphasizing it through every play. So, what was interesting to me, right? yeah, what was interesting to me is just like when they're down, they're kind of focusing on themselves because they're not executing properly, and they're trying to just they're within themselves more than kind of a collectively trying to improve is what I'm hearing that's leading to the issues. We start is focusing sound... on beating your man. I mean, is that what you're hearing there, Vip? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the other, the other part of that is when I think the, the Georgia tech game was the best example of it where you could see a lot of guys before snaps, they have no idea what they're supposed to be doing, what calls <laughs> they're doing. So you're just trying to think in your head, you know, what can I do to limit the damage or what can I do to put myself in a position to make a play? And if you have two guys who didn't get the call, don't know what's going to happen, uh, a good offense is going to be able to take advantage of that and, and break a play and break a defense down and go for a big play. Ring up the next one, Gregory. Issues is we're just not talking. I mean, it's just player not speaking up. You know, a player not saying this and talking to his other teammate, letting up on uh, what play it is or what adjustment we're going to make when this happened and that. So, yeah. And, um, I think it's like mental lapse, I, um, I guess. 
Um, and I mean, as a team, as a player, we can't have that. So I think that kind of went along with what you were saying that about, um, but even before the game, just not talking about the play and stuff or before the play, just not talking about it and things like that. And the mental lapses, I think, connect um, to what just like trying to focus on one thing, but you're just forgetting about others and just kind of so much stuff swirling around, which is an issue considering they've played six football games already this season. Yeah, how 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 are you, how are you six games in and the same issues are still happening? I, I I lay that at the feet of the coaches. Six games in, what do you, what's your take there? I, I I think that's the only place you could kind of put the blame when you're having. I think that's that's where the most frustration comes from for this Carolina team, where um, you know the the average fan watching it can say these guys don't know what plays they're supposed to be running or uh, the offense could look at it and say, you know, Sam Howell's not going through his progressions. He's locking in on one receiver and he's holding the ball way too long. And it's the same problems that keep popping up every time this Carolina team loses the Virginia tech game. If that was a one-off, okay. It could have been a fluke, but it, it happened in the Georgia tech game and it's happened and it happened in the Florida state game. And if you don't have somebody who's going to address it, it's going to happen in the Notre Dame game. It's going to happen in the Wake Forest game. It's going to happen in the NC State game. It's naive to think that these mistakes are all of a sudden just going to figure themselves out one week. So, Jason, is it fixable? I do think it's very fixable. I mean, if you're going to have problems, I think communication problems are one of the one of the easiest things to fix. I mean, it really does boil down to listen, you know, listen for the call, confirm you got the call. And then for the guy, the guys that are supposed to be making the call, make sure that you're heard, make sure that you're talking. Okay. Um, real simple. You just have to pay, pay attention to that detail. And I do think that, that Taman Fox said a lot when he said, this is happening when we start losing, this is happening when we start getting beat. And what's happening is you're getting a team that's getting frustrated and then what happens, especially with, with it tends to be with younger guys, but it can happen with older teams too. What happens is you get guys that press. You're trying, you know, we've all seen this. And, you know, again, a lot, of, a lot of folks who are listening to us right now, you, you know a lot more about basketball than football. And North Carolina is what it is. We've all played with that guy who when we're, you know, when you're on a team or even in pickup, you start getting down. And that guy gets the ball and his head goes down and he's going to the rim no matter what. It's just what it's just the way he's wired that as soon as you get down, you know, you're down four points and pick up and, you know, like, oh, here we go. Because that guy is going to get the ball and he's going to get the ball in the backcourt and no one else is going to touch it because he's going to put his head down and he's going straight to the rim. And he's going to do this three or four times and he's going to get he's going to turn it over three or four more times. And, you know, before long, you're down another four points. But he was trying hard to overturn this. He was trying to go Kobe on it, trying to go Mamba mode. And the way this works in team sports is that doesn't normally work. But it's the natural impulse of guys who are competitive. I'm get, we are getting beat. I got to make a play. No, son, you got to do your job. <laughs> First and foremost, you got to make sure that you're listening to your other teammates and just do your job. And I think that's happening at the quarterback position. 
I think that's happening on the offensive line. I think that's happening on the defensive line. I think that's happening at linebacker. And I think that's happening in the secondary is you're having guys that when they're not having the success that they expect, they start to press and they start to try to go Mamba mode instead of just doing their job. And that's the thing that you just have to reinforce every day in practice and you have to rep it and you have to convince these guys and motivate them to look, you're a good enough player that you don't have to press. You don't have to try that hard. You just have to do your job and you have to trust the guy next to you to do his job. And don't worry when we get down, we will we're talented enough to come back and we're going to be fine. That's the thing you have to get in and it's fixable, but you just have to get guys to buy into that part. And that part is one of the next stages of building a program, not just having a successful team one year where you have a bunch of big plays and you don't play from behind very often. Now learning how to win dogfights when teams are hitting you in the mouth. How do you do that? You have to learn how to stay within your game plan. You know, it's the old custom auto. Everybody has a plan until he gets hit in the face. The best boxers are the guys who, when they get hit in the face, they don't lose it and start flailing. They keep boxing. And that's what you've got to, you've got to keep boxing. I think it also, the pressing also leads, leads to the 12 penalties. Um, Cause that was just an uncharacteristic thing that we haven't really seen. And a lot of them were frustration penalties that just didn't need to happen. That's and so I think point. that's uh, I think that's part of it. You're like, how is this team having 12 penalties when penalties have been an issue in the past? Not as not this season. I think, they, I think the max before Florida State was seven, which is not still not good, but the 12 were just things that just didn't need to be happening. And like Josh Downs having two false starts, right? Just, just antsy. Um, and it's just something where leadership needs to come in, which is kind of like what Tamam was saying, which was like, look, we need to talk about this as players. And this is kind of what Cedric Gray had to say about little eyes into that meeting. That's a great Just point, by the very, way. Very uh, serious uh, team team discussion that we had individually as players. Uh, you know, we recognized that um, we we had higher expectations for the season, and and things are not really really going as planned. So we just kind of met as a group like, hey, we got to, you know, get our stuff together. We got to do some things differently and and get back on track to uh, finish the season strong. The good thing about the mistakes there when you're having those kinds of penalties or whatever because you're frustrated and you're pressing is it means you've got a really competitive group that hasn't given up. But it, but it also means you got to you got to really get, you got to learn to calm down. You got to learn to you got to learn to keep boxing when once you've got hit in the face. So, Vip, let me ask you a, a version of that. Um, and folks keep asking about um, the calls coming in late on the communication issue. Well, they're, they're coming in at the same time during a win. The calls are coming from the sidelines, you know, against Virginia. They were, it's not like they're, they lost it and they're late. Even you know, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it's across the board with the players on that end and they have to be coached up or replaced. But Vip, let me ask you about some complacency things. And it looked like, especially to Jason's point, this team has not quit, but it looked like in the Florida state game, there was a lot of, I don't want to be there um, complacency. And then you have a, a drive when you're down, what, 18 points and everybody's huddling up and taking 25 to 30 seconds. So, I mean, what is going on there? It does not seem like there's a sense of urgency 
before it, there wasn't a sense of urgency until the game was virtually out of reach. Even against Florida State, we never saw the sense of urgency. At least I did not. What's the issue there, Vip? Yeah, the the looks of complacency, I would say that's coming from the frustration of a team that feels like they don't have any answers for what teams are doing to it. Like against Florida State, Florida State imposing their will. Georgia Tech imposing their will. And this is a Carolina offense and a Carolina defense that came into the season, you know, rightfully or wrongfully a, a top 10 team. The the, the team in the building thought that they would be in the, in the national title conversation. Like you could say expectations were unrealistic. The team in that building thought that they were ready to take the next leap. So when you don't have answers for what, for what, you know, you don't want to call them bad teams, but they're, they're, they're not good teams in the ACC, Florida state and Georgia tech. When you don't have answers to what those guys are doing. And in your mind, you're this team that's ready to be in the national conversation it's it's disheartening. You don't know what to do, and that's where you're seeing the complacency. And then I think the the urgency. I think that goes back to the coaches and and the coaches having to tell the guys like, "Hey, we got to get plays in quicker um, before the team comes out on the field." Tell them we're down three scores. We need to score as fast as possible. Um, so so I think that that's a point that that goes back on the, to the coaches where they have to kind of instill this sense of urgency on the team when you're down three scores and you're you're on a six, seven minute drive. Even Dan Orlovsky in the broadcast was saying uh, how bad Carolina's sense of urgency was. So it's it's another thing where the 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 if the fan in the stand is turning next to his friend and saying, why is this team going so slow? Like, do they understand they're down three scores? It's it's another thing where everybody in the building can kind of see what's going on. And it's it's something that the the people in the building actually have to fix. There were quite a few lost voices on Sunday morning screaming in the last uh, half of that fourth quarter. Uh, from the stands in Keenan trying to figure out why everybody was moving in slow motion to get Carolina up to it. A ton to talk about, a ton we've already talked about, but I'm going to close this show. It's after 10 o'clock on the East Coast. I'm going to close it, and let's talk revised predictions to close this show. Uh, this is the group, Sands, Buck, and Greg Barnes, uh, that uh, – had some interesting predictions about a month ago or uh, two months ago when we did this show and Gregory, I can't, what was your record, Gregory? Were you 10 and two? Do you have to check? Oh, oh, oh. bring that up. Wow. Yikes. It's a tough, uh, I think congratulations to G biggie on winning the, winning the year. I wish I'd have stuck with mine. I think you got mine wrong. I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you've got those W's that should be turned around to L's. <laughs> Let's uh, we had T A T A T A. Well, at least you made it too small that I can't see it on my computer screen. But Vip, uh, Vip what what's the revised prediction? Uh, I mean, you got Miami. If Carolina does not win Miami, I think they have a losing record without question i would bet on a losing record if they don't beat miami on saturday but they've got six games left in the regular season and it ain't easy because wake forest is good notre dame's gonna be tough at Pitt's gonna be very tough and nc state is a problem or could be a problem so Vip, where are you 
for the rest of the season. I can't believe we're having this discussion. Also, we might have even been wrong about Clemson. That's how wrong we were in these predictions. Yeah, really. My favorite yeah. Dab- Dabo's – let me aside. Did you hear Dabo when somebody asked him about the uh, transfer portal? He said, we ain't three and two because we didn't get somebody out of the transfer portal. Anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. Even though – Vip, what you got? Yeah, Carolina. So they have six games remaining. Uh, they're underdogs in at least three of them from the looks of what the early lines would be. Um, you know, the, the players can say they're they're going to fix things. It's something uh, you have to kind of be- uh, see to believe. I think the coaching staff, I think they're I don't know if the sense of urgency is totally there to see that some of the things aren't working, especially offensively. Um, I'm still thinking that they're uh, it's, it feels like they're trying to fit, you know, squares into, into round, into round holes. So uh, that part kind of worries me. So for the last six games, I would, I, I would say two and four and uh, would, would want to be proven wow. wrong, but wow. I, so you got five and seven. Yeah. Who are the wins against? Wofford and I. Th- I think you beat. I think you split Miami and NC State. Um. Got it. So it's one of those that you lose. Yeah. Yeah. I've got Jason. a. I've got a. Uh, uh, earthquake, hail, fire, and brimstone prediction <laughs> on mine. But I'll let you go first, Jason. Oh no no no! I gotta hear the fire and brimstone. Well, are you gonna go one? Are you gonna go one and five the rest of the way that they only beat Wofford? Are you gonna go? Are you gonna do the full flip from from your preseason? No, I. <laughs> I think they're gonna beat Miami somehow. I think they're gonna beat Wofford somehow, <laughs> and that's gonna put them what five and six five and going seven. to NC State. <laughs> and that's going to have them five and six playing for a bowl against NC State, and NC State's going to be playing for a berth in this in the ACC championship game. Can you imagine I'd be. what Carter Finley Stadium would be like on that Friday afternoon after Thanksgiving? So I think that NC State comes down to either five and seven or six and six, and I'm going to be in that. Carter Finley Stadium on the day after Thanksgiving because I want to be there to see that happen one way or another. I also think with the the NC State game to close, um, it seems like this Carolina team lacks that sense of urgency. They they've never lacked a sense of urgency in the NC State game. So whatever the coaching staff is doing to kind of get it across to these guys, like Duke matters, NC State matters, winning in state matters. That's that's something where I think the fan could be more confident, even if this NC State team is ranked in in the top 20 or wherever they will be or wherever Carolina comes into. Um, But I I think the point that kind of everybody's made at at, um, up to this point, it's like this team, the mistake people keep making is saying, like, if this Carolina team runs the table at this point, this Carolina team is kind of showing that. The, the Florida State game, the Georgia Tech game, the Virginia Tech game, when those keep popping up, that this is kind of who they are at this point. Yeah, they ain't beating Wake Forest, playing even remotely close to what they've been playing. Wake Forest will wax Carolina if Carolina shows up like they have. 
This is just such month. an interesting conversation, given kind of what I'm, six, what I'm thinking way. here. You, you've got six and six. Well, what do you yeah. think, Jason? It's funny because I actually, for once, am the optimist of this group. <laughs> you I, have them at seven and five? If you say eight and the, four, I'm I think they'll go seven and five from, from where they are now. Um, and, you know, going back to, uh, to, to look at this. Hang on. Let me see the uh, – here we go. Um, looking at the, uh, at the schedule moving forward, you know, I like Carolina in the Miami game by a good bit. I, this is mid to late season Miami that is broken Miami. I mean, Alabama broke them and we all know that late season Miami is not the same as early season Miami. We all know this, right. And they're late season Miami with their third string quarterback. I think, I think they're going to beat Miami. Yep. And then here's the thing. I think they're going to beat one or both of Notre Dame and Wake Forest. Yes. I don't think Notre Dame is what a lot of people think, still think Notre Dame is. So you understand Notre Dame beat Virginia Tech last, last game. But with, uh, let's see, um, this was within two minutes or so of the, of the end of the game, I think this is, if I'm reading the chart correctly. Yeah, they came back to beat them. Virginia Tech's win percentage expectancy was 98%. <laughs> I love looking at those. Right? Virginia Tech like, outplayed geez. Virginia Tech outplayed Notre Dame by at least as much as what they outplayed North Carolina in the opener. I don't think there's a gap, really, a significant gap between that Notre Dame team and this North Carolina team. I don't think there's that significant a gap. And again, a, I've seen Florida State play. Now. I've seen Florida State play both teams. Primetime so road game. It is a primetime road game, but Carolina at some point is going to figure out how to play in those. I think one of those two games, Carolina is going to actually win that game. I'd probably peg it to be uh, the uh, the weight game more likely. But I think they'll beat Miami coming out of the bye against Notre Dame. I think they've got a really good shot at that game. And then I think they've got a really good shot at home against Wake Forest. I don't like them against Pittsburgh. I think, you know, Pitt's no. playing really good football right now. I, I, I feel pretty comfortable about that Wofford game. And I think, again, you get to the end of the year and, you know, that's basically a coin flip game with NC State. I like seven and five and you know, I wouldn't, I would not be surprised with eight and four, even from where we stand, because the, the, the problems that I see on this team, so many of them, especially on the defensive side are fixable. And what I'm seeing on tape is they're close. The thing about defense is you can be really close and still give up a lot of points, but the moment you fix it, suddenly you, you, you become really good. And I think they're close. So you know, I, I'm curious to see what's going to happen down the stretch, but I think they'll I think they'll finish around seven and five would be my call from here. Can I say where some of my uh, pessimism, uh, my uh, pessimism, 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 pessimism. We got to wrap the show, boys. Pessimism. That's <laughs> yeah, getting a little tired. <laughs> well, let me tell you where some of that comes from. The the three and a half hour drive to Virginia Tech, the three and a half hour drive back from Virginia Tech. The four-hour drive to Atlanta, the four-hour drive back from Atlanta, and then the two-hour drive this weekend to Chapel Hill and the two-hour drive back to make it a day trip. 
I've I've just seen too much. I've seen too much at this point. You got to prove it to to me yeah, at this point. I, I, do, I am I frustrated by what a... I see on offense, and if they don't find another playmaker, they're they're going to have a hard time. But I just, I think there's enough talent that if they stop trying to fit the square peg in the round hole, they'll be able to they'll be able to be more consistent. So I, I think they'll find some answers in the bye week, and I think they'll beat Miami before that. So I, I feel I feel like uh, seven and five is is I'm pretty comfortable there. And that would absolutely be a, a, a big time win and turn around and keep the train moving forward. I don't necessarily disagree with you, Jason, but I 100% agree with what Vip just said. We're at the point you got to show me and, and you got to prove it. And if they come out and whip Miami. And then have a good bye week and come out and show well against Notre Dame. I'm listening. But uh, getting to a bowl, getting to postseason, getting these guys some more reps and have some positive momentum, I 100%, 100% uh, think that is what's on the table at this point. It's been on the beat live. It's been pretty fun. We've gone for what, Gregory? Hour and 15 minutes or so, getting past people's bedtimes, even the youngest ones of the bunch. I've been your host. I had a long weekend, Tommy. Oh yeah, you graduated finally. That, that's impressive. Well I made the, done. I made, I made the jumbotron. Showed more energy than the sideline. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good it's one. It's true bit. though. That's the problem. Taking shots. That is uh That is something. That is, that is the Gregory Hall of graduates. <laughs> Take shots. But anyway, it's been fun, boys. It's always great to be on the beat live. We'll start getting more and more into basketball, too, by the way. Greg Barnes and, and Ross Martin have been at ACC kickoff, so we'll talk about that a lot as these shows progress. But Carolina Hubert and Miami. Hubert Davis era to begin. How crazy is that? I remember hollering at Hubert across the parking lot from Highland Hills when he got home from Houston after scoring, I believe, 29 down in Houston. Um, always been a good guy. Uh, I, I love be, Hubert. It's going to be uh, crazy to see Carolina basketball when it starts up, all the changes come in there. But Vip, Jason, Gregory, I'm Tommy, on the beat, Johnny T-shirt, all that stuff. Boys, it's been fun. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.